Kim Sujawalski, and I'm your host here at the Brownwell Podcast, a place in which every week we talk about delicious food, about making more vegan choices no matter where you are along the way. And because food is never just about the food, I'll support and guide you to a happier, kinder, and more mindful relationship with that wonderful moment of eating. Are you ready? Lace up those trainers if you're going for a walk or grab a cup of coffee, get comfy on the couch, and listen in. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Bramble Podcast. I am so happy to have you here today. Today, we have another one of those wonderful new episodes in which it's not just me, but someone very special is joining me in the podcast today. Bramble has brought so many special things into my life. I I can't even count them. But the secret surprise it had in store for me many years ago, without me knowing, (laughs) was the deep and sort of profound connection that I would have with the people, the listeners, the students who have crossed our path. One of these very special people is Simon, flight attendant, onboard manager, and part of the cabin crew, as they call it in the UK, of one of the world's top airlines. Today, he joins us to talk about his love of his career, his priceless expertise when it comes to being vegan and traveling the globe by plane. He helps me answer a great listener question about how to request vegan meals when flying and what foods you can pass through airport security and all sorts of good stuff. But all his incredible knowledge and travel tips aside, Simon will knock your socks off in sharing his own journey through burnout, anxiety and depression, body image pressures, and how he has found healing, support, how he stays grounded even when he's miles up in the air. We talk about self-care, about the importance of medication when it is needed, and the importance of boundaries. Join us in this conversation as we journey with Simon across our mental health and especially how we can find our way home. Simon is an international flight attendant and onboard manager flying from London to countries as far as South Africa and as near as Israel, pescatarian to vegetarian, and then making the choice to be vegan since 2017. Simon found us here at Brownville through Apple Podcasts, and he has been making our recipes ever since. And he reached out and many moons ago, we started this very special friendship from Northern Ireland and growing up with a love of aviation. Simon now lives in the Surrey countryside, just outside of London with his partner, Dan, who is just the sweetest man ever. (laughs) And aged 19, you guys, 19 Simon became cabin crew, and now 13 years later, he still flies, and he has adapted how he packs and plans to accommodate a vegan diet. If he's doing it, we could do it too. And having lived and learned through anxiety, burnout, and bullying, Simon knows very well how to forge a path of positivity and perseverance to create a life that is intentional and balanced and consciously calm. And it is just an honor to be a witness to all of the process he's been through. And he continues to inspire me 
on a daily basis. Uh, what a special friendship we've built through the years. You can connect with Simon via Twitter. I just want to mention that up front he, where he is at Simon underscore Cowley underscore. So that's S-I-M-O-N underscore C-O-W-L-E-Y underscore. And of course, you'll have that linked in the show notes in case you just want to reach out. Here you can connect with him. You can ask him any questions you wanted maybe answered on the show that we perhaps we didn't get to. He has consciously stayed away from all other social media platforms. And that is a conversation that we will have him back for as he is one of the best people I have ever met at setting boundaries. And I'm still learning from him every day. Now, before we get started with today's conversation, here is our sponsor for today's show, our online program, My Bramble. This episode is brought to you by our signature online program, My Bramble. My Bramble is an ongoing program, all in video format, in which I teach you how to cook delicious vegan meals, get organized, give you support on your vegan journey, as well as the tools to help you find a more mindful and balanced place with food and eating. But most of all, it's an ever-growing library of online vegan cooking classes with new content added every single week. There's so much more included in the program, so go ahead and visit mybrownbull.com to learn all the details and to give it a try. That's M-Y-B-R-O-W-N-B-L-E.com. Now on with the show. How are you? Happy New Year. Good morning. Happy New Year to you. Thank you so much for having me. It is so nice to see you and talk to you and feels right. This is such a special treat for me. You have no idea. You are one of those very special people that I found through our work at Bramble. And I just count my lucky stars to have you as a friend. It's gone from, from student to faraway listener all the way to a very special friendship. And I'm so glad that you're here with us today. Thank you so much. That really, that means the world to me. And I can't wait to actually reflect myself on the start of my sort of Bramble uh, history. But as you say, like our friendship coming out of it has been so good. And it was whenever I watched a Gabby Bernstein uh, podcast that she did with Fern Cotton here in the UK. And when they mentioned they'd never actually met, I was like, oh, we're Gabby and Fern. Oh my God. This is... <laughs> I love it. So in that, so who is Gabby and who is Fern in this scenario? Oh, uh, well, you've got, oh, now I'm, I'm in the UK, so I have to be Fern. Okay. That sounds fair. That sounds fair. It's the only way to play it. I do think you have all of the Gabby wisdom as well. Oh, so trying. All right. So Simon, I remember our first email exchanges so many years ago now, and you talked so much about your passion for aviation, for flying for your job. It was such an incredible thing to see when I read those emails. And I remember always talking to Carlos about it. And I just said, like, this is such a special thing nowadays to find someone who not only has their dream job, but is living in it fully and loving it so much. Can you tell us a little bit about how this passion began and sort of what the journey was like for you? 
I think what you love as a child, you know, it stays with you forever. And it's probably one of the most important parts of my sort of soul and spirit is that I've always held on to that. I know you've talked a lot in your podcasts about denying yourself of 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 true love whatever that means for you and aviation for me oh my goodness it has been in my heart forever i can remember flying when i was about 6 years old and i'll always remember walking on the plane holding my mum's hand and it was the first time i saw a male air steward and he handed my mum a newspaper and i thought wow I didn't know boys could do that. That's amazing. I grew up in Northern Ireland. So my dad is from Derry. My mum is from London. So we flew a lot over to London to see family. And from that, that started the the, the jet fuel in my bloodstream, so to speak. And then my dad would take me to our local airport every weekend so I could stand by the fence and watch the aircraft on my seventh birthday. He somehow managed to get a connection that I could go up into the air traffic control tower and sit and watch everything. And even though aviation and being like an av geek is is a, a very geeky stereotype, I fully embrace like the spirit and romance of travel um, and being a flight attendant. So as much as one day I can be home, uh, watching, you know, my favorite sassy TV shows, listening to podcasts. I can also be at the side of an airport runway watching whatever's going on. I love it so much. I've never told you this story, although maybe I have mentioned it somewhat in the podcast, but because of my circumstances growing up, we had to travel a lot for uh, my, because of my mom's illness, for treatment, for clinical trials, for surgeries. And sometimes I had to go on those planes on my own as a young kid. And it was the scariest thing the first time I had to do it. And the flight attendants that were on that flight, the way they took care of me and made me feel safe and the way they tried to be funny and like it was just a, you know, a regular thing and that there was nothing to worry about. It just, I always look at a, at a flight attendant uh, or a member of a cabin crew, and I just remember that. With It just, my heart just overflows. I have such a good association with the work that you do. You're with people in a very stressful situation. Yeah. It's so special. I'm so pleased to hear that because throughout the years, the stereotype of flying and being a flight attendant has gone through real peaks and dips. And I do get a lot, you know, oh, don't you want to be a pilot or this, that and the other. And I love the the physics and the science of flying. Like, as you know, Dan, my lovely partner, got me Flight Simulator for Christmas. So I'm delighted to be able to play Flight Simulator again. Did I not tell you? No, you did not tell me that. That is amazing. <laughs> yeah, that's a whole other story. Um, but I can now play Flight Simulator at home and be that pilot. But anyway, I it never appealed. I've always wanted to be in the cabin with people because I just found everything fascinating about how 
these people in uniform could, with their emotional intelligence, basically create a theatre performance from curtain up to curtain down. Everything that happens in the cabin can basically be choreographed. And that's the bit I love, the emotional intelligence part, the bit where you can create that entire experience. That is an incredible way of putting it, Simon. You're right. It's a sort of, it's a sort of theater performance in which you have to be on your game. And then after the flight is over, you kind of check back and say, okay, so how was this performance? You know, what happened? It, that's, uh, that's a lovely way of seeing it. And uh, wow, so interesting. Now, did you ever have a different dream growing up of something else you may have wanted to do? No, could, literally no. And, and, and people, people get really shocked by that. And I get it a lot. People are always very surprised by my one track. Now, I've had so many other dreams and ambitions woven in between that, but aviation has always been the thread um, from literally... Like I said, about five, six years old when I can remember starting to fly. I used to have like, I used to get like real uh, big loves of TV shows. So maybe one week I would suddenly become in my bedroom um, like a general hospital. Or it, it was always like some sort of service themed high pressure job. <laughs> <laughs> so it was always like the emergency room. That's what my bedroom was that weekend. Um, what else did I used to do? Um, I think that was all because my dad was a journalist as well. So I grew up like watching and hearing all of his, you know, high pressure deadlines and and all the things he was doing. So I guess there, there's a big element of that that's come into my own life. I One thing I love about you, what you just said is you talk about this idea of service and we mm. think of people who work in areas in which they have contact with other people uh, and are sort of in that realm. We maybe think of teachers, doctors, nurses, and we don't think of the massive, uh, you know, the other part of the world that is all about helping people and being there for people. And I think your area is definitely one of those. I experienced that for sure. Uh, that's incredible. Your life is of service as oh. well. <laughs> I love making you blush. <laughs> <laughs> um, You're mean. No, uh, um, so welcome to my podcast. So Kim, tell us about your... Uh, um, no, but it's true though, if you... Uh, you know, this is like so many YouTube videos you could watch on the topic of service. and. That's the great thing about being an adult is you get to choose, you get to be of of help to people in your own way. And now mm -hmm. I get to talk about Brene Brown. So Brene Brown. Welcome to the, the, the sermon, the gospel that is. Um, something that she said, and it was when I was on holiday when we had that lovely holiday in Crete a couple of months ago and I spent every day journaling and, and listening to one of her audiobooks and it was oh I've actually got it written here she talks about don't ask what the world needs ask 
what makes you come alive and go do it. Because what the world needs is people who have come alive. And self-doubt undermines your gifts. Don't dilute yourself to make others comfortable. And it made me feel so brilliant about my job because you do get wrapped up in that modern world of, oh, well, if you're not this, that or the other, well, then what have you achieved? But, you know, there we go. Look at look at you and I. You have wholeheartedly dedicated your life to Bramble and look at the ripple effect of that. And as have I in flying and aviation. So there's your service. There's your look in that mirror. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Simon, you are, first of all, you are just the, the sweetest, kindest person. But I, I just love that quote. There is so much in us just living our passion. It, it's mm. so important. And, and that mm-hmm. can be of service in, in just many ways. Now, another area that you're very passionate about is veganism. You're vegan. Tell Yay. us the story of how you decided to become vegan, what it's meant for you. Well, when you come from an Irish family, when you fly back into Irish airspace, you basically start to inhale carbs and dairy, you know. Um, but that's it. all my family are so supportive. But it was so funny. The first few Christmases and instances of adapting to a vegan life, you know, it is hard. It's it's difficult with with friends and family to to bring in that new that new thinking but I started oh it all tied into health with me I used to do lots of running I used to you know be overweight in the early days of of working and I thought right I need to run I need to lose this I need to go into that stereotype of what I think a a person in uniform should look like And then I remember doing the whole no carbs thing. And then it was after I had had a really, my first big episode with burnout and, you know, really admitting and leaning into the fact that I was dealing with depression. Something clicked and the thought of eating meat really overnight repulsed me. It came out of nowhere. And then I thought, oh, do you know what? I'm sure a therapist can help with this, but maybe it's something I'm trying to control. But I went down that road of, okay, I'm not going to eat meat and see how that makes me feel. And I instantly felt less bloated, felt really healthy. And then I started to dabble with, ooh, pescatarianism and all of that. So I got to maybe 2017. And that's when I started that the vegan movement was really moving ahead it was getting more attention and good press and the reasons behind it I then watched Cowspiracy and that led me down that rabbit hole and the thing I couldn't believe was the environmental impact and I think that was really the turning point for me was wow the impact that you can make in your own home for the planet when you know you know, let's call out the elephant in the airport. I work on planes, um, which, yes, emit carbon. However, I can offset that in my kitchen. Um, But, you know, fuel consumption and sustainability is, again, another podcast. But the fact that all of these different elements of life plug into veganism being a really healthy 
kind choice is what clicked for me. And now the fact that you've got these amazing people like David Attenborough um, and Jane Woodall, all these great people doing documentaries saying how the one thing that you can do overnight to, to help save the planet is veganism. And I think it's fascinating. I couldn't agree with you more. It is so interesting that you talk about how you can, you know, no, no matter how sort of imperfect any areas of our, our our lives are, for example, you work on planes and there are carbon emissions related to that. And yes, that can mm -hmm. be a whole other podcast because there are definitely other things that we can do. But how you have uh, just this way of being an activist and do things to help the environment, to help animals mm -hmm. every day in your kitchen. And it doesn't mean that you have to be perfect in every single area of your life. It means that whenever you can do something, mm. we try it and we see how we feel. And I learned, I learned my confidence from your podcast, especially the episodes where you would talk about, you know, the ones about like sharing uh, videos of animal cruelty or trying to, you know, shove this you shove this thought process down people's throats it just doesn't work people have to come to their own uh, conclusion and that's what I always felt because I I wasn't trying to have my show my activism on social media you know by sharing those videos and really you know fighting that fight I didn't need anybody else to come with me it was one of the f biggest turning points in my life that was completely my own does that make sense yep Yes, I I had to do it for me for my health, and it I just loved it. I loved getting into the kitchen. I loved how I, I remember telling you one of the most amazing byproducts or effects of becoming vegan was my helping my anxiety. I always used to feel that oh that crushing nervousness even from being a child of in a restaurant oh you know, being brave, giving your order, speaking to the waiter. And I used to try and avoid that at all costs. I used to try and avoid any awkward situations. I would order whatever. Um, and then becoming vegan, it, it in a way, it, it forces you to actually stick up for yourself and go, oh, do you know what? Can I have an adult conversation? Can we swap this for that? Um, da -da 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 -da. Um, and then that horror of seeing on the menu at the bottom, no substitutions allowed. Um, so, <laughs> so, which thankfully is quite rare. Thankfully, that's it's rare. Yeah. <laughs> yes. Uh, it helped with that. And I suddenly found myself being able to think ahead and plan ahead. And it helped reduce the fear of the unknown by actually speaking up for myself and, and what works for me. But not doing it in a, you know, standing on my soapbox, you know, bashing, bashing my book over people's head, just doing it for me. I, I love that, Simon. And you are totally right. In my case, it also gave me a huge boost of confidence. It's it just sort of, I always say that it's the push into the deep end of the pool. If you've ever struggled with confidence or with boundaries mm -hmm. or with standing up for yourself or what you believe in. It, it just pushes you into that pool. 
<laughs> you have to learn mm -hmm. how to swim pretty quick. I love mm -hmm. that that has been your experience too. Now you started on that journey because of health. And I'm sure as with, uh, you know, many people, there was a lot of mm -hmm. diet culture mixed in with that, a lot of mm. body image pressures mixed in with that. Do you feel that as you went vegan and as you learned more, did, did that sort of motivation transform itself into a different thing? For example, what you were talking about, you know, helping the environment uh, where it felt like something that had to do with your values or anything like that. I think the start, and this is before I met Dan, I was in such a tailspin of dealing with depression, anxiety, burnout. Again, the, the common thread through life has been aviation. And then, of course, focusing on your work too much does create the burnout but it's doubly hard whenever your work is is one of your absolute true loves yeah. so I I used to yo-yo in weight so much depending on how anxious I was feeling then when I started to cook vegan go vegan have this real focus in my life to create this other love in my life and another thread to always have coming through mm. I then noticed mm. I was still sort of yo-yoing in weight, but but the thing, that's the, the key there. I was still thinking about weight and that image. When I then really had to let go of that, and again, it helped leaving social media last uh, November 2020. We can, we'll definitely talk about that, that joyous moment. But leaving that comparison state of being, trying to get away from adapting my behaviors and how I should be and look really helped. And it is about closing off how, how you view things to be able to protect yourself. And I noticed a big change maybe in 2019, whenever a lot of like fast food style vegan items came to the market. And I did notice a little, uh, chapter of life where I stopped cooking and I was relying a lot on these mock meats or you know different ready meals from different supermarkets and I noticed I started to feel sluggish I started to feel unhealthy again because I hadn't been cooking myself so that's when I I caught myself back from that because I, I realized I wasn't feeling healthy and I loved the fact that vegan was now on every supermarket shelf but then as I get older as my body changes as I know I've got a real love in my life from Dan it's been lovely to grow older and become more accepting of my body and my my health I think it does come with age but it also comes with what you let yourself view in the world because there's so much out there to view and it's overwhelming and it's great that now in 2022 we can decide what we want to look at what we want to nourish our our minds with as well as what we nourish ourselves you know on a plate Ooh, that sounded deep didn't it <laughs> I really love did. that. I love that. And uh, we'll talk about social media in a second, because you did something uh, that I consider very hard in that you completely left 
all social media behind. And I think it's the bravest, smartest thing, to be quite honest. But let's talk about that in a second. Apart from Twitter. (laughs) Apart from Twitter. Okay, apart from Twitter. But yes, you definitely let go of the social media that you felt was causing anxiety or causing harm to your mental well-being, etc. Now, I agree with you. I love that there are vegan meats and uh, sort of options in supermarkets everywhere. And, you know, there's nothing at all wrong with consuming these types of foods. And it's about maybe tuning in to how you feel, what you feel like eating on a particular day, and being able to include all of these options without fear, I think. Mm. And also getting into the kitchen more, which you know is my love mm. and, and my passion for that. Do you feel that now you have found a good balance of those two things when it comes to food? Oh, yeah. I think the pandemic as well didn't help any of us because what do we go to? Comfort food, ease. Now that we have, we've moved house, now that I've got the kitchen the way that I want it, being able to plan and cook is just such a a lovely, lovely part of, of every week. And there's a safety to it. I, I love that, Simon. Uh, yeah. And I love that way of seeing it, seeing uh, that cooking in itself brings joy, that it has positive aspects to it in, in the way we relate to the food and that cooking can include, you know, also um, just convenience and, and, and br- bridging the two. A bridge between the two. I love that. Uh, you mentioned your uniform for work. Mm -hmm. And uh, that's very interesting. And I think that that might be a slightly unexplored area when we talk about body image in Mm -hmm. sort of the body image sphere, the pressure that certain jobs have of wearing certain clothes when it comes to the size and shape of, of, of your body. Tell me a little bit about that. I find that uh, so interesting and so unexplored. Well, I have always adored the style part of airlines. I love the the brand image. I love how the uniform ties in to the airline brand. And it's part of that theatre, isn't it? It's part of that image of seeing the crew walk through the airport together. One of my favourite parts of the day. Um, And as a child, I remember thinking, I don't need to be super skinny, but I need to be super healthy. And I need to learn how to swim. And even from when I was little, I was like thinking, like, what is everything I have to take off the list here to become a flight attendant? So my my dad and my big sister taught me to swim in a pool uh, in the south of Spain on holiday one year. And I had my first uniform when I was 16, when I started as a travel agent. And I remember it was the first time having my own earned money and being able to get my own lunch every day on the high street that I worked in. And I'll always remember a colleague once saying, you know, you know, it was a shaming comment about what I was eating. And it was about, oh, you know, careful, you're going to end up as the side of a house, you know, if you keep having these these nice lunches. And I've never forgotten it. And it sticks with you in your blood forever. Those comments just stay with you. They are so damaging, so harmful. 
uh, it's why we need to start clearing out the body talk in general. Good, mm-hmm. bad, just keep the compliments about the person, the kindness, the, yeah. the, the, the laughter, the, how funny they are, how great they are, how great they make us feel, how close we are. Because they really, uh, at the wrong time, they can be so damaging. But I'll never forget it because I was the 16-year-old newly in the working world teenager. And um, this particular person was mid-40s anyway. So that never left me. And then I became a flight attendant when I was 19. And the joy of it, and I have still got my first uniforms. The big thing, though which I have now learned 13 years later, is that in a flying environment, comfort is so needed, but it's balancing it with the style of the airline's brand. I probably spent all of my 20s on a mission to be in the slickest, uh, smallest size uniform I, I possibly could be. And this all ties in with the burnout the the couple of breakdowns that have happened and the acceptance that I can't breathe in this waistcoat when I am midway over the Atlantic. This has to change. And there was a point maybe, I'd say maybe two years ago, and then also through the pandemic, where I thought, I can't do this anymore, telling myself, oh, I need to change. I need to get smaller. The uniform has to stay at that specific number. I have to get littler. And I thought, I can't. And I, there and then, just had to work with myself, listen to some, you know, different good meditations and realize about the clothing industry and how no two brands have the same numbers on the inside seam. And now I've never felt healthier mentally or physically and I actually now get more people saying to me that I look happier and I think it comes from when you're not stressing about what you're wearing it's something you can put that focus somewhere else and I love my main concern now when I'm at work is being healthy being comfortable being super stylish because it has to be I love the uniform (laughs) but it all ties in now with how you feel inside. Simon, I am, oh, I am so just proud of you because this is a hard, uh, it's, it's such a hard thing to go through every day when you've had that initial belief, because it's of course running rampant in the industry that you have to look a certain way mm. and that you've managed to find out through your lived experience that you can have the style you can have the comfort, mm-hmm. you can wear the clothes and, 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 and sort of follow the industry styling, but you have to find peace within yourself first. And that it's mm-hmm. from there where the, the, you know, that, that shines through. Mm-hmm. That is so incredible. I was listening to a podcast episode uh, today where they were interviewing a, someone who worked in the fashion industry about eating disorder recovery. She was a person who had struggled Mm. with disordered eating and and an eating disorder. And 
within the fashion industry, of course, you can imagine the pressure, mm-hmm. even if you're not, she, she wasn't a model, she wasn't uh, you know, d- directly in pictures, but even behind the scenes, there was this huge pressure to look a certain way. And she actually talked, I'm going to link to the episode in the show notes for everybody, but she actually talked about how certain brands, and she of course didn't name which ones, mm. which I'm terribly curious about, they actually change the sizing of the clothing so that you get incredibly addicted to the feeling that in their store, you're not a size eight, but you're a size six when the clothes are actually a size eight. Oh my Can goodness. Can you believe that? It is, it is heartbreaking that they are playing around with people's insecurities Mm. with such a triggering topic so Mm. if someone is say a size eight or a size 10 or whatever it is the clothes are marked down Mm -hmm. so that people shop more at that store and it just it's it's so uh it's so sad that we've gone gotten to this point and also it can be something as non-malicious as behind the scenes like i i know of i've had many uniform changes in in the the companies i've worked for and sometimes if a if a supplier if a contract changes or if a supplier maybe goes bust and you know you need to get a new source of fabric you know that brand house or or that uh production line may just design things in a different fit so it may be nothing to do with your body size or what your previous size was it's just down to how someone cuts and and tailors that fabric it's an absolute minefield and it's you you, you wish like <laughs> you wish like those <laughs> food guide social warnings could come with clothes <laughs> you know <laughs> yes yes oh my goodness look you know one of my favorite films the Devil Wears Prada, like that is such a cult film and I adore it. And some of the lines in that are so body shaming, but that film is still incredible, but it's taking it in the context of this is a dramatic fashion industry film, but there's truth there. It absolutely. Uh, yes. Oh my goodness. Uh, I could talk about body image with you forever and we will. Mm-hmm. If I, <laughs> I have a feeling that you're going to be back for many conversations, uh, but let's circle back to uh, being vegan and your job. Mm-hmm. Is it, has it been challenging to find vegan options wherever you are? Yes and no. On board, it used to be hard. Because uh, when we go to work every day, we're very fortunate that we have crew food. And because of the length of our flights, I just do long haul flights. We have a, a selection of food that is, you know, for the crew to keep us going through the day. The change in that in the past year has been incredible for how many vegan or accidentally vegan options there are. And I do definitely credit that to uh, the lady that I know who works in our in-flight services where she can get a vegetarian or vegan option is, she will do it. Um, And she's neither. She's not veggie or vegan. So it takes the people who are making the decisions to have that awareness. Absolutely. When I'm away, it's really funny. Where would you think the hardest place would be for me? I am thinking it's going to be either between the airport or a hotel. 
I meant what country. Oh, you mean you mean world what country? Hmm. I feel like this is a trick question. <laughs> it is. Oh. The hardest place is America sometimes. No. Yes, You're kidding. Because, yeah, it depends on it depends on what city I fly to. If I fly to say the West Coast, oh, that's vegan heaven. Absolutely. But there are other cities that just they, they don't have the um they don't have that that sort of demographic of of a you know big vegan eating population. And it's in those cities where I've had to switch my routines when I'm at the hotel and focus more on like the delivery apps. Um you know, all the, well, we have like, um, is it, uh, we have like Deliveroo and Uber Eats in the UK and in America, there's, I think, is it DoorDash or something like that? There's a couple of different ones. So yeah, but when I'm in hotels all around the world, it's no problem because it's again, having the conversation. If I can't figure something out, you know, you do have to go and ask, but the fact that there's so many food delivery apps now around the world, it really helps. So the delivery apps have, you feel that they have made an impact wherever you oh, are, yeah. of course, because you can have immediate access to so many different places, browse menus online. It's so much easier, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. And it's whenever I'm, that helps if I'm somewhere, say I'm not at work. If you're on holiday or vacation and say you are somewhere that you just can't get a grip on where the vegan or vegetarian restaurants are, that can kind of be your life hack. If you look at your local Uber Eats and, you know, maybe the first night you get to the hotel, get something ordered in, you can always just collect your food from the the concierge desk or the front desk. But that then gives you the kind of hit list of where in the city you can then go as a restaurant later on in the trip. That's such an incredible uh, tip. I love that tip. You're absolutely right. Mm. And I just feel that the the ease of being able to browse the menu. And I know, at least here in Spain, when you order via Uber Eats or Deliveroo or any of these, you can also make an annotation of, you know, Mm. no eggs or no Mm -hmm. dairy or Mm -hmm. and and they are very um, they, they listen to that. So that's a great tip for when we're staying at hotels. Now, Simon, we have a question from a listener, and I think there is no better person than you to answer this question. So can I read it to you? Please do. Yes. I finally get my first Sam question. (laughs) Your first Sam question. From being Sam for so long myself. (laughs) (laughs) So Sam asks the following question. Hi, Kim. For your future podcasts, I was wondering if you could cover how to feed yourself when traveling, especially by plane. I will travel to Dubai for work soon and realize I don't know how I will survive the six-hour flight. What can I prepare and consume on board that will be acceptable when passing through security check? Have you spoken about this topic before? If not, I would be delighted to hear your suggestions. So, Simon, take it away. Okay, flying, it is so easy, but it does depend on your airline. So first of all, your research is really crucial. You have to find out, first of all, what kind of airline you're flying on. Is it a full service scheduled carrier that provides the full um, 
old-fashioned, if you like, meal and drink services, or is it a um, medium whole style airline that don't do very long flights, but you know they rely on you buying food from their onboard service? Now, always with your airline, say I'm going to focus on like the airline that I fly on, which is a full service airline. You can always go in to like the manage my booking section of your profile of your flight. And that depends, again, whether you book direct with an airline or whether you've gone through like an online travel agent, one of the big like superstore um, uh, travel websites. Now, if you go through one of the big travel websites, it's always worth still going direct to the airline, even just to go in and um, look at your profile because it's really direct with the airline at least 48 hours out from the flight that you can then choose your dietary preference. So we have got everything from vegan, vegetarian, Asian vegetarian, diabetic, kosher, Jane, low salt, children's meals. If you can do that, it's logged in the system. And then when you're on board, the crew on our iPads or our manifests will always then deliver that uh, special request um, or pre-ordered meal first before the main meal service. Now, again, it problems can happen, so it's still always worth having your backup snacks in case that isn't on board, but I'll, I'll get to that. So to summarize, do your research on your airline, log in direct with the airline and see what their service is going to be like for that flight, and then see if you can then order the pre-ordered meal request. If you are on like a low-cost airline or an airline that has a different sort of ticket type, that's where you can then look at their buy on board menu, but you can't guarantee that they're going to have those items by the time the crew get to your row. So it is a case of there's there's a great selection of of stock. However, it's not unlimited, so things can run out. And I do I say this to people who are vegetarian as well, because there is the Airlines will always have a vegetarian option on their menu, but it can't be guaranteed. That could be the most popular dish, which we've found over the years. It's more and more popular as you work up the cabin and you are tend you tend to be left with the meat options, which my inner vegan when I'm in the aisle and I'm like, yay, but I don't show that. <laughs> that is definitely that is definitely a, a, a sign of, of of the change that's been happening. Yeah. And you talk about um, so going after, let's say we've purchased uh, the ticket, maybe through one of these main websites, you mm. recommend going directly to the airline and yeah. sort of making that adjustment. How do we do yeah. that? Do we do that online? Do we call the airline? Do we have yeah. to do it again before, like right before the flight to reconfirm? Mm. What do you recommend? You will always get your booking reference. Now, if you book direct with the airline, that booking reference is, that's in there. That's like in the manage my profile, manage my flight. There'll be some sort of portal within every airline website because that's where like frequent flyers would go to check their mileage. Every customer will have a portal for their flight or their booking. If you've booked with the big travel websites, you probably need to do a bit of sifting through their emails to find that booking reference that is specific to the airline. But worst case scenario, you can call or one of the best things to do is contact airlines through their Twitter DMs. 
through their Instagram DMs. And also a lot of airlines now have got um, direct WhatsApp numbers. And actually it's quicker to go through those than calling because you actually have a, a team that are dedicated to that like social engagement side and they'll generally reply quicker. That is a fantastic tip that I would have never thought no. of. Uh, wow. Yeah. Very, very surprising. And the vegan option, is it called vegan? Does it go by other names in airlines? No. So there's a worldwide list, basically, that every airline subscribes to. Like all the codes that we use across airlines are all the same. So vegan meals are known as VGMLs. Uh, but that is a very behind the scenes term that only we would use. And uh, like vegetarian is VLML, which doesn't make sense, but it is. And then probably the funniest thing I've had recently, a flight not that long ago, I was writing up the special requests and I was putting like, you know, 65D uh, diabetic, uh, 75A um gluten-free but I tend to always write the name of the, the the customer as well to make sure that when we deliver it it's like oh Kim is it Kim ah great this is your vegan meal lovely so I had written uh, like 65d Cecilia um vegetarian meal and then I'd given out all the meals but the crew kept coming back and saying oh um and there's a gluten-free we're missing and I was like, no, 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 there's no gluten-free at all. And they were like, oh, yeah, but this celiac. And I was like, no, no, that's Celia. And she's vegetarian. <laughs> <laughs> that is, that is such a funny story. So, you know, <laughs> but if you want me to say about like the preparation side of like what you can pack and stuff, mm -hmm. I am a big grazer like when I fly when I'm at the cinema any situation when I'm sitting down I need to snack now when you're going into a country you know every country is very strict with their agricultural imports like you can't bring meat dairy meat and dairy based products you can bring into the country like special foods for medical or infant food but if you're unsure then you would have to like declare that at customs but if you are going on a flight, going through airport security and planning on consuming things just on the flight. If they're dry, like packeted items, they're fine. Liquid is pretty much a no-no because especially in the UK, we have really strict hand baggage rules for liquids, um, mm -hmm. which pains me to not be able to bring hummus on board. But um, yes. that, is, <laughs> that is bewildering. Um, but preparing like prepping fruit prepping crudite sandwiches chips crisps dips so the dips no um all those sort of things are absolutely fine and again it's good to bring it just in case that vegan meal isn't loaded which it's a crushing realization for the crew when something hasn't gone right in the catering side because we are then the ones to deal with it so having a backup is always good that is such a fantastic and important tip. I think it's rare that the airline loses that information, but it mm -hmm. has happened to me. I was on a flight and I always bring, like, I bring 
as much as I can bring. I bring sandwiches. I bring uh, potato chips. I bring mm -hmm. uh, fruit. I bring cut up vegetables. And people mm. are always surprised. And they say, you can bring that on the plane. And I say, yes, you yeah. can absolutely bring that on the plane. Mm. Whether you are vegan or not, you can take snacks mm. or additional components to your meal, even if you eat the meal on the plane. And it's so, always so important on flights to be well-fed and well-nourished. Mm -hmm. That time they did lose sort of our, just our, our vegan meal request. And we had a backup. So always take yeah. a backup, but always def definitely request that vegan meal because it's there for you. And most of the time it'll be there and you'll have yeah. something hot and, and filling to eat. It's good. That's the hardest part of is flying, seeing people hangry. And probably the worst experience I had was a grown woman crying when I ran out of the pork chili. <laughs> so when you ran out of what? Sorry. I, we were, pork chili was like one of the options. And by the time we got there, oh. <laughs> but like, she wasn't, no, this, this wasn't vegan, wasn't vegetarian, just that option on the menu had run out. There were tears. So. <gasps> Oh, well, you know, I always say when something like that happens, we never know when that was the last drop on that person's overflowed glass. And uh -huh. they could have been, you know, it, it has happened to me. I'm sure it has happened to you where you cry over like this very silly thing, but it was just the last possible thing that could have happened to you to break the dam. Exactly. <laughs> yes. Now, whenever... My phone lights up with a message from you, Simon. I just, the first thought I have is how exciting, where is he today? Because you can be in London one day and then the next day you're in Lagos and then the next day you're in LA and then the next day you are in uh, just Pakistan. It is so, it, to me, it's almost like I feel you're time traveling because I continue <laughs> on with my day while you're flying and, and reaching these places. And I think, how is he like, how, how? Uh, mm. But I just want to ask you, what is that like? And are there any challenges to that life? There's so many benefits and pros of my life and the, the cons and the hard parts of flying. You learn to adapt and you learn to bring them in to being okay. And especially as someone who has had to learn how to live with, with anxiety and how to overcome it there have been big stumbling blocks but there are so many there's just so much joy to me in in flying around the world i love it but one thing that has to keep me grounded is i tend to stay a lot of the time on london time so i'll always keep london time on my watch i'm all i'm able to enjoy my time away and being awake at very strange times of the day so long as i know what my grounding is, what's going on at home, and having the support of, of family at home is so crucial. There's nothing worse than doing this job or any sort of shift job where you don't have the support. Um, that It's really hard because it tends to be that, that service jobs are the ones that are the shift jobs. And you have to have that, that baseline at home of people that that get it. So important. So important to feel connection when you are in a job where you feel sort of dis like in a time warp where you feel disconnected mm -hmm. from uh, the timeline that everyone is living back home mm -hmm. or wherever you are. You've talked a lot about 
your experience with burnout throughout this conversation. How do you navigate that and have it be your passion in life? So Mm -hmm. you know that this is something you want to do. You want to stay in this because it's your passion. But Mm -hmm. you also have had moments where you have been totally burnt out because, well, it's a very stressful job, at at least how I see it. It it can Mm -hmm. be very stressful. How do you navigate those two things? And what do you do to get yourself back into that grounded feeling of being okay? Yeah. I used to resist so much my my introverted tendencies, my love of alone time. I used to resist my individuality. And it's typical, isn't it? Those things that you push against and let be resistance are will what rise to the top and consume you until you deal with them. Now work for me has always been the thing I loved and what I can count on. So when I had my first breakdown, it was very personal. It hadn't come from work. It was all to do with me not letting myself be that real geek, not letting myself be that really passionate aviation person who loves what I do, focuses on the positives in life, because you get swept into that world of, oh, it's it's not cool to care. You get swept into not wanting to stand out in the playground. And for me being a child and all through my life, I've had various bullying situations. But the the joke really is on them because all through those situations making sure that I stay individual and stand out for what I like and love is what has got me to where I am. So getting through my my first breakdown was where I had to go. I, I really literally cannot care what people think of me, loving what I do, sitting on the positive side of life, looking at the bigger picture of every situation. That was key. And it was all about setting boundaries. I uh, I think, again, Brene Brown said I'm a recovering people pleaser, or I think she said that. <laughs> um, I, I used to not be able to function until I knew that everyone around me was happy first, because I told myself that's what means that I'm okay. That's what means that I can go forward in life. If everyone else is okay, all those plates are spinning. And in my early 20s, I used to be able to spin so many plates and do so many cool things with work. And then outside of work as well, I used to do some really good like event training and used to do, you know, there was one occasion where I I trained 100 flight attendants on stage being a sales trainer and teaching about like cultural awareness and emotional intelligence. But underneath in the background like my anxiety levels were off the scale but because of my age I think I was able to control it and then as I got older the seams just started to give way and I had to then set those boundaries go to my doctor go to my GP and actually say I can't function anymore being the way I am I need grounded and 
I'm very comfortable to say like I then had to start on antidepressants which gave me the window of opportunity to be calm and it was one of the best things that I ever did doing it in a controlled and safe way and I had to look after myself on the 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 science side I had to learn from my GP that not everybody is built with the same serotonin levels and I was fascinated to learn about how this particular tablet I was taking would basically help with the enzymes, help with what my body naturally produces of um, the happy chemical. My pills will help me to keep that and not let my body attack it and deplete my 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 happy chemical levels. Mm-hmm. So now putting the caveat out there, I'm not a trained medical physician in any way, but I'm going by what I've learned from my GP. And I, I loved learning about that, if that makes sense, because I was then able to take a step back and go, if I was diabetic, I would have to, uh, you know, regulate my insulin if I was having any sort of other medical condition, I wouldn't think twice about helping myself. So why should it be any different with my mental health? And from that, again, all through this, still flying, still having that love of aviation, um, but then learning in the background, as I'm getting older, things are changing. I cannot spin as many plates as I used to. Simon, thank you so much for sharing such a personal and vulnerable uh, story and 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 just for opening up that window. I am a huge, huge defender of psychology, of mm-hmm. uh, psychiatry, of taking medication when you need it. As you know, I've had to take it in the past myself mm-hmm. for both anxiety and depression. Mm-hmm. And it was uh, so important in, in my journey mm-hmm. at that time. And it has helped so many people. And I love it when we can talk about it and lay it out mm. on the table and, and and show that so many of us have a, a, just a different biology. And sometimes there are times in our lives where even mm-hmm. if an issue is emotional, there is a biological component to it. And mm-hmm. sometimes we need to address that. Like you said, yeah. like if we had a broken leg or we had some kind of imbalance in our blood work, mm-hmm. mm. this is, uh, this can help. This can help. And of yeah. course, therapy helps and uh, yes. just looking after ourselves helps. And, 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 and I wanted to ask you about that. What do you, what sort of self-care practices in your day-to-day life help keep you grounded mm. and help keep you on the other side of that anxiety, which as yeah. you know, <laughs> and as our listeners know, it's the, it's just my, it's, I call it my Siamese twin. My invisible Siamese twin is anxiety. And it yeah. has been such a process to to find the tools to really mm-hmm. try to even though it's there yeah. let it just be as quiet as it can be what do you do what self-care mm. practices or things are important mm-hmm. to you to keep you grounded in such a yeah. uh, just such a stressful and like constant and change job um yeah. tell us 
the boundaries absolutely and to, to to name drop again we're going to go to rupaul for this one um he always <laughs> talks <laughs> he always talks about how at a stage in his life he was addicted to anxiety and i thought yes that is so right i used to for so long and especially um with with dan in the when we really you know got serious with each other and moved in with each other and all these wonderful things were happening in our life I would find so much that I would wake up with this dread of my body and my my systems weren't used to not having things to worry about so what does your mind do oh there's a panic button let me push that it's incredible what you can manifest for your own uh psychological need to worry and listening to RuPaul and realizing that I had the choice to live a really calm life was so so important so when I say boundaries I spoke to my GP I then did um, some CBT therapy which was amazing but then it was in like the May April, May time of 2017, that's when I found veganism. My grounding is now, is my, is my food and my health and thinking every day about what I'm going to ingest physically as well as mentally. So it's taken a few years to get to. Now I open every day with be it pen and paper or be it a note in my phone of just opening up the day with some sort of appreciation, some sort of letting my thoughts flow, be it through a keyboard or pen and paper, just to get myself in that mindset. Throughout the day, I my main intention of every day is to be calm. And I do that having not had social media as a distraction but I do it in always having my candles lit always having nice scents and smells around me always knowing what we're going to make for breakfast lunch and dinner and then the big boundary bit comes in with other people because as humans we are of course all wired for human connection but embracing my introvert tendencies, or not, not even a tendency, I am at heart an introvert. I need quiet time and I need rest to be able to re-energize, to be able to put the uniform on and, and be with people. And that's so crucial, being able to set aside that time where you go, right, I need to block out this time to protect my day at work, 13 hours on a plane with people. Um, and that led me to one of the biggest boundaries. And that's a little note that I make as an alert every night on my phone. And it is, where's my phone? Let me read it. Um, so every evening it pops up and says, so my core values are non-negotiable. I'm committed to them and they are my guide for protecting my rest my energy, my sleep, and protecting my morning. And some of that I, I got from you. Do you remember how you did the podcast about uh, making sure the kitchen is cleared? 
so that you come down yes. in the morning and it's it's ready to go. Um, yes. Now I'm now sometimes I'm not great at that. Sometimes the sink is full, but hey ho, we'll move on from that. Um, oh well, that happens to me too. <laughs> that happens to me but as well. I when this pops up on my phone or my my watch, I I had to put it in at that time of the night because I found that say I'm away in a hotel and maybe a few of the crew are meeting for a, a drink uh, or some food it's my little reminder to go oh do you know what tomorrow will am I protecting my rest and my energy from being with these people that I don't know but could potentially sap me of the energy I vitally need tomorrow when I'm with the people that I do know or I, I have to serve and look after or it reminds me even when I'm with family if I need to think, oh, to to be better for tomorrow or to just be calm, I need to make a decision tonight. So the day is now always protected by the night before, if that makes sense. I love that ritual. And so often, if we are recovering people pleasers, like you said, and I am one of those for sure, mm. we uh, we do we have the tendency of putting other people first, of not wanting to cause any inconvenience or an uncomfortable moment of saying no. And mm. it is so important to help just uh, keep us with whatever that self care is for us. And you mm -hmm. mentioned so many tools. I was just taking notes after notes. Like I have papers scribbled everywhere because so Aww. many of your practices, I think can be just incredibly helpful no matter what your job is, no matter what your uh, mental health struggles are, these can no. help so much. I have one final question for you, Simon, and it is this, what is home? to you so not in the literal sense of you know okay. where you live or your, or your house which I know you just moved into the loveliest house uh <laughs> and uh, just the the loveliest new chapter in your life but I mean uh -huh. what does home the feeling of home mean to you for someone who is for so many days of the year mm. uh, somewhere else yeah home is my feeling of safety and my feeling of calm inside. And there's nothing worse than being on the other side of the world if something's going on or you feel alone. And I feel like I've had to really embrace technology because there is that, that feeling of when you're overwhelmed mentally and physically, you just don't want to be near your phone, you don't want to be near any social apps. But I've kind of gone the other way and the way that I now put in my little rituals into my calendar, I always have a certain set of photos that are my favorites in my photo album. And it's like a picture each of my family and a picture of Dan and me. Um, one really ridiculously cute one of him when he's a baby, haha, <laughs> um, which he <laughs> probably doesn't know that I've got, but um, adorable. It's and always traveling with my journal and pen when I'm feeling in any way anxious or far from home, being able to write out what that feeling is, what's the danger, what, what am I actually scared of, trying to flip it around with my, with my own words tends to bring me back. So that's what home is to me. It's knowing who your support is knowing who are those key people 
that help you live your life every day unquestionably and you're one of them for me you are um and it, it's true you're you're your small pocket of people that you know and it is small and I think as you grow older it gets smaller and that's okay it's you have to be brave being getting older that some people are not meant to be in your life forever and it's okay it doesn't have to be a malicious dramatic breakup of friendship or relationship it's just a natural thing with 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 friends that you grow older simon well first of all <laughs> you made me tear up it's a first <laughs> it's not a first in Aww. my soul shows, but it is a first in our a series of interviews and, and conversations Aww. with other people you are such a kind human being and i want you to know that you are also one of these people for me and that your friendship oh. through these years, even though we've never met in person, no. has meant so, so much. It has been such a special part of my life and we've shared so much vulnerability and so much about mm -hmm. our own struggles and that's what connects you to people and that's why the connection with you is so strong and I cannot thank you enough for spending this time with us please come back because I now have scribbles and notes up to the wazoo of topics <laughs> I want to talk to you about in this podcast you gave us so much this was oh. just one of my favorite conversations ever. And I can't thank you enough for that. I would love to come back if you and your lovely Brown Bull community would have me. And I love being part of the Brown Bull community. The, the recipes, I just, the fact that we can cook them together at, down in the kitchen and Dan can add whatever he wants. It's brilliant. I love that. Thank you so, so much, Simon. And we hope to have you back. I would love to. Take care. See you soon. Bye-bye. Here are our main takeaways from our conversation with Simon. You don't have to be a doctor, a teacher, a nurse, or a paramedic to be of service. Service comes from living your passion and creating an impact in people's lives. Our vegan journey can start one way, and through the process, we rediscover ourselves, we gain confidence, and we find a happy and balanced place that really works for us. Beauty and confidence truly come from within when we learn to be ourselves in our own skin. When traveling by plane as a vegan in a full service flight, book a vegan meal and check with the airline if you've purchased your ticket through a travel website. And it's always a good plan to bring a backup as long as it isn't liquid or gel-like and insert collective sigh for not being able to take hummus on flights it can come with you through airport security no liquids no gel-like substances anything else can go through that can mean sandwiches cut up vegetables fruit chips crisps energy bars granola bars other packaged snacks and more on whatever path we are on it is important to recognize the signs of burnout and anxiety and seek help through our GP, through a therapist, and sometimes for many of us, myself included, for a time or as support without an end date, medication can save and change your life. Looking after ourselves includes our psychology, but also our biology. 
So let's erase the stigma behind mental health struggles and the need for medication when it is needed. When finding healing, don't resist your individuality. Let your true self shine through. Caring is cool. And if it isn't, we're going to start making it cool. Let's get comfortable with standing out. Boundaries and sticking to them, asking people to respect them is essential for our mental well-being. We can find the calm, the stillness, wherever we are, in whatever we do. And finally, home. Home. It's the people in our lives, maintaining that connection, keeping your loved ones close, even if that group gets smaller as we age. It is above all else finding safety with the people in our lives and within ourselves. Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Thank you so much to Simon for such an incredible conversation today. I'll see you next week, everybody.